Good morning. So we have two readings this morning. And the first is from 1 Peter chapter 3. We're reading verse 13 to 16. That's 1 Peter chapter 3. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. And then the second reading for today is Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 to 6. So Colossians 4. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly, as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Great. Thanks, Emily. And good morning again, everyone. It is great to be with you. Um, As we begin today, I want you to come on a little bit of a journey with me to look at our great city of Adelaide. And I don't know how visual you are. I'm relatively visual, so hopefully this works for you as it uh, does for me. But visualise the drone shot uh, a couple hundred metres up in the air, uh, above, uh, starting at the beach at Selix, heading north towards our city. So as it flies north, you can see uh, the great McLaren Vale wine region off to your right. We're then flying through Seaford, Morfitt Vale. You see us here at uh, Woodcroft College. You can see Woolies over there, the Woodcroft Hotel. Then we're up, sort of flying up Panalatinga Road up to the expressway with all its cars and trucks. And as we come to uh, O'Halloran Hill, uh, you see the Vic there uh, on the right. And for me, that triggers a lot of uh, repressed memories of my uh, pre-Christian conversion story that I told you uh, just earlier uh, there at the Vic. Then we're out over the plains, uh, past Kernelite Gardens and my house on Goody Road, heading north to our beautiful city. I love those drone shots that kind of kind of fly slow like that. So we're coming into the parklands, people standing aside, their ovals this morning cold as they're watching their kids play soccer. Uh, the streets of Adelaide City, quieter than normal, being on a Sunday morning. And then we fly out over Adelaide Oval, the cathedral. And then... I don't really know what's uh, past then. If if you're like a southerner like me, most people in Adelaide either know the south or they know the north. I just can't visualise the north. There's lots of people there God loves, not anti-north, but I'm a southern person like you, so I can't continue to do that drone shot. But let's just trust that there's hundreds of thousands of people uh, that are very precious to God. Now, I'd love you to now look at, at, at City, that same visual that we've had with spiritual eyes to see what's going on, how many of our 1.37 million citizens have a sure and certain hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, how many have repented from our sin, bringing our record of debt to the cross of Christ, receiving a right standing with God, righteousness from Christ as a gift freely and lovingly given. 
How many people in our city have a guaranteed by Jesus place in God's eternal family and a sure hope in the new heavens and the new earth upon the coming return of Jesus? How many people in our city have that? Well, I'm a bit of a numbers person. used to have a background in corporate finance, have a a passing uh, go at statistics. So let's just start this morning with the number of people sitting in our city's churches this day. And we have to exercise some level of discernment here. Not all places with church written above the door proclaim the gospel of Jesus, which is a great sadness. But depending on how tightly you kind of want to define it, you know, how many Catholics, what penny churches would you have in that picture that have a gospel heart? And of course there are many. Uh, How many Christians sitting in Anglican churches that don't preach the gospel? How many of those are Christians? It's a little bit rubbery. But depending on how tight you'd want to draw the circle, probably the number of people sitting uh, in, um, Christians sitting in churches this morning, somewhere in the realm of ten to 30,000. So taking the most generous number, 30,000, that's 2.3%. Now, post-COVID, around half the people who belong to churches won't be at church today, so maybe you could double that number uh, to 4.6%. And then for those of you who like to argue numbers, I don't suggest this over morning tea, but you could, in theory, sort of say, what about the saved person who's not attending church? You know, what about Christians in nursing homes and so on? And we we could argue the number up a bit. So maybe, just maybe, being really generous, you could get to 7% of the people in the city having a place in God's eternal family. But between you and me, I think that number's a little generous. But even taking the most generous of numbers, that still leaves over 1.2 million people in our city that we just flew over with our drone a minute ago who have no hope beyond this life. For those 1.2 million people without Jesus, whatever they receive in this life, it's as good as it gets and it's about to get far worse than they could possibly imagine coming before a holy God with their record of sin upon their shoulders without Jesus bearing that load for them. If you're here today or listening along online and wouldn't consider yourself a follower of Jesus, this is what is at the heart of the Christian faith. You could put it this way, without Jesus, this life is as good as it gets and it's about to get far worse. Whereas with Jesus, no matter what's going on in life at the moment, it's as bad as it will ever get and it's about to get far better. Your best days as a Christian are always ahead of you in eternity. As we start this mission series, if you're a Christian, I want you to start with those 1.2 million people in mind. And if you are one of those 1.2 million, please do listen very carefully and come and chat after the service. We're here to help. It's why we plant new churches like this, specifically to meet people just like you. We don't think we in and of ourselves are anything special or have it all together, but we can introduce you to the most important person ever to walk this planet who can give you the gift of life with God, Jesus. So a question for all of us then, is what is God doing today in this city, this day, among these 1.2 million people who don't know him? I'd put it to you that he's doing what he has always done. He's proactively introducing himself to people not looking for him through his people, bearing the words of eternal life 
about Jesus. I chose to write that five-week reading guide to take you through the book of Acts and write three Bible studies from the book of Acts too, because Acts, I don't know if you've realised, it's a unique book in the Bible where we get to see God at work with what I would call having the director's commentary on. So you know back when DVDs were a thing, you could switch the director's commentary on on your favourite movie. So if you've watched you know, Star Wars or Lord of the Rings many times, you know, just for something fun, you can turn the director's commentary on and listen to it with the director kind of just talking over the whole movie and explaining the choices and a funny story that happened that day and the intent behind this shot and just how beautiful that is. That's looking at a movie with the director's uh, commentary on. The book of Acts uniquely lets us see God at work building his church from the ascension of Jesus to heaven, actively directing, building the church by the Spirit with the director's commentary on. We have all the explanatory notes on God. The Spirit did this, he restrained them from going there. All the behind the scenes stuff that you'd never know if you were living it. But we get to see God building his church with the, director's, with the director's commentary on. God is the divine director of evangelism, building his church through his son Jesus with the spirit of God actively directing the work. Acts is beautiful. That's the mind that you go into reading Acts. You'll love it over the next five weeks. Now, we don't get to switch the director's commentary on in our life today. I wish we could. <laughs> But God is at work in our city this day. And our job this morning is to think, well, what part do we have to play in God kind of rolling out his plan of salvation in the world today? Now, it's an expansive topic to be sure, but I'll focus in today just on one really important part that we have to play this day as we join God in the work that he is doing in his world among the at least... 1.2 million people who don't know him in our city. You'll see in your outline where we're going and and the short summary is speak to God about people and speak to people about God. So point one's from our Colossians reading from verses 2 to 4. If you've got a Bible, it'd be great to have it open in front of you. And the first point is speak to God about people. So read with me from verse 2. Colossians 4 verse 2, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Paul is encouraging us very strongly to be devoted in our prayer life, being watchful. I think meaning being mindful of the times in which we live. And always being thankful to God, to God for his grace and mercy shown to us. Uh, I think that's the uh, indispensable foundation Uh, of things. Uh, That is also the foundation for his next prayer request in verse 3, where the apostle says, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ. The apostle Paul is a gifted by God evangelist asking for prayer for himself and all those who join him in the task that God may open a door for the message or more literally, open a door for the Word. Because it is the Word of God that changes people. It's the Word of our God that needs to be proclaimed. So that people can understand the great mystery it is that God should come to our earth, remaining fully God and being fully man as Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins. 
Paul asks for a prayer for verse 4. This is Paul speaking, that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Pray, essentially, that uh, evangelists, when the door is open for the word of God to be proclaimed, that they'd speak it clearly as they ought. Now, it could make the case from further afield in the Bible that I don't think all of us are called to be what I would call kind of capital E evangelists, you know, driving forward into new places, into the public square, proactively like the Apostle Paul. But we're all called to pray for those who are. So I was trying to think of a good example of this. One of my uh, many nephews, I've got 25 nieces and nephews, one uh, is called Luke, who was baptised many years ago. And for those of us uh, who knew him as a teenager, it was pretty clear to all who knew him that God was gifting him as a very passionate evangelist. Now, he lost his father uh, some 12 years ago when he committed suicide. And amongst the many prayers that have been prayed for that family... Many prayed that God would open a door for Luke to proclaim the gospel. And answer that, God did. He was given the opportunity, not many months after his father's death, to preach at his school. Now, it was a Christian school, obviously, uh, to allow that. But like so many Christian schools across Adelaide, not many of the students were actually Christian. A door was opened for Luke to proclaim the gospel to 800 school students. People prayed and he proclaimed it clearly as he should. Now, none of us would ever wish for the circumstances that opened that door, but how else can you respond other than to praise God that he opened a door for many to hear the word of God? So Luke, at the end of his sermon, he said, I'm starting a Bible study uh, this week. And 40 students rocked up. I think that's pretty awesome. Praise God for answering prayer that as a door is open, someone would faithfully proclaim the gospel. As a pastor, uh, there's actually not, uh, there's, uh, you know, some parts of my role I'm not great at. Uh, Some I get by with. Uh, A few things by God's grace I do well. Yet give me a crowd of unbelievers at a funeral or a wedding or a carol service. I ask lots of people to pray. And despite my nerves, my self-doubts, I trust Jesus. And with people praying, God continues to open doors for the gospel. And joy among joys uses me of all people to proclaim the mystery of the gospel to unbelievers quite well. All glory to God for that. There is a role for the, what I'd call the capital E evangelist to proactively seek opportunities to break new ground with the gospel, opportunities for direct evangelism and teaching, a role that not all have. It is very interesting that Paul's as first order of business in this section of Colossians concerning the ministry of all believers promoting the gospel commends it to us all to open our mouths and pray for such people. The Lukes, the Matts. One of the great shortcomings of being a guest preacher is that I don't know any of you well enough uh, to know if some of you might be sort of capital E evangelists. Whether you have more or or, uh, none in the church at the moment, 
because of the need of the 1.2 million people in our city who desperately need Jesus, will you pray that God will give you more big E evangelists as a church? That may uh, be uh, a new person who's here amongst us today. They might rock up next week. But I suspect perhaps God might answer that prayer in fanning into flame that gift among more of you. Now, it's confession time. I haven't written this on my notes if uh, you're reading along. Um, At points in my history, I've been much more diligent praying that prayer. And I can look back and see the evangelists who kind of came into our church uh, kind of for that. And are bringing people along to church, along to our life series. And, you know, for some reason, it's just drifted off the agenda and I didn't even notice it. As I was writing this sermon, I thought, oh, I've got to commit to praying for more big E evangelists uh, in our church because our God is a God who answers prayers. He cares about those 1.2 million people. Whatever roles we have in the church, we're all commended to pray for our big E evangelists to kind of press into new areas and kind of lead the charge and proclaim uh, the gospel uh, in different ways. To pray that the Spirit of God, our divine director of evangelism, uh, uses some of us to break new ground in the workplace, at school, over a pint at the Vic of all places, a random conversation waiting at the checkout at Woolies. So point one, speak to God about people, pray for our evangelists and for God to raise up and bring in many more in our church because of those 1.2 million people in our city. But our hearts can protest a little at this point. For those without the gift of big E evangelism, surely we're not to remain silent. And verses 5 and 6 give us an apt reply. Point 2, if you're taking notes, Colossians 4 verses 5 and 6 speak to people about God. Let's read those two verses together. We're told, be wise, this is Colossians 4 verses 5 and 6, Sorry, I didn't uh, set the slides up particularly well to do this, but uh, thank you for following along. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Now, the NOV in translating this has left a couple of words here out to make it easier to read. The last part of verse 6 actually reads, so that you may know how you ought... It's the the you ought that it drops out to answer everyone. So that you may know how you ought to answer everyone. So Paul first asked for prayer for himself and evangelists like him, that they be provided with open doors for the word and that they may proclaim the gospel clearly as they ought, same word used, and then turns to give advice to all Christians on how they ought to answer everyone. Evangelists do direct evangelism, seeking to break new ground. All Christians, however, are called to uh, what some have termed responsive uh, evangelism. They are to speak to people about God when the opportunity arises. Now, please don't misunderstand me at this point. This doesn't mean we stay silent about Jesus for months and years on end until someone directly asks you a question about Jesus. It's fairly rare for someone to walk up and say, you know, Matt, you know, tell me what I need to do to inherit eternal life. It doesn't happen that much uh, to me. Although, uh, yeah, I won't tell stories. We'll be here all afternoon. Uh, it does occasionally happen. I would say it's fairly rare. So I'm not sounding the retreat here. Look again at verse 5. It says, 
Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Uh, In speaking of wisdom here, Paul isn't saying, you know, be shrewd in your interactions with unbelievers. Biblical wisdom is living in the light of what God has revealed to us. Living wisely is how God is living as how God would call us to live. Another way to put it would be to say live lives worthy of the gospel of Jesus. Paul uses that phrase across the New Testament. And he made it for us in Colossians 1 verses 9 to 10. This is not up on screen, but I'll tell you, as he prays uh, that they may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Rather than suggesting people without the gift of evangelism speak less about the good news of Jesus, he evidently assumes if you're living a life worthy of the gospel, opportunities uh, will come your way. If God's wisdom is guiding you how to live in your own lives and in relation to those who don't believe in Jesus. Opportunities for responsive evangelism can be found everywhere and we're called to make the most of every opportunity in verse 5. But at this point I thought it's worth acknowledging that we live in a cultural moment where Christians are finding it increasingly hard and fraught to kind of identify as Christians in the workplace and in the wider community. There's been a pretty um, epic shift, I would say. It's been accelerating over the past 10 years, where Christians last century were kind of seen as the, the good guys in society, maybe thought of a, as a little prudish, taking religion a little too seriously, but kind of at least the good guys who could be ignored by many. To now, this day, I think, being seen as the bad guys due to our biblical convictions on things like sexuality, marriage, gender and the like. We're increasingly now seen as enemies of the good that need to be wiped off the face of the planet for society to progress. Now, one of the books I recommended in uh, your reading guides uh, at the back there, if you flip to page uh, 24, if you've got it, I put it in the middle because I I thought I was using it today. It's called Being the Bad Guys uh, by a guy called Steve McAlpine. Uh, He's an Australian uh, who's written really well on this topic. 2021, it was Christian Book of the Year, and rightly so. That kind of helps us kind of interact with this cultural moment in which we live as we think about how to speak well about the gospel and what kind of lives we should live in a society where we're now considered the bad guys. So I put a uh, quote up on uh, screen if you want to pop it up uh, from Steve. Here's a bit of uh, Steve Gold for you. Kind of just jumping right in on this topic I was talking about. He says, And the way we live must be shocking in the way that it is also compelling. It must raise questions for those looking on, questions such as, if their way of thinking about sexuality and individual expression is so wrong, how come their lives look so good? Or, if they're supposedly given over to hate speech, how come they love and serve their enemies? Or, why is their speech so measured when they are scorned on social media? Or, most perturbing to a culture that views personal sexual freedom as our primary identity marker, to ask the question, why are their marriages strong? 
Why are there single people chaste and their same-sex attracted people so fulfilled by non-sexual relationships? We're doing some pretty big topics there, and I can't kind of cover it uh, all today. There's a lot more behind that quote, but that's why I've put the book on your suggested reading list. I think it would be a great outcome if a few people here read it, and some of the other books I mentioned too, as a way of corporately together, just kind of sharpening the sword, thinking through how we can grow in our missional heart and effectiveness for the sake of those 1.2 million people in our city. As we are, even in difficult times in our world, and particularly how gospel-hearted, biblically-convicted Christians are seen, to live our lives for God and take the many opportunities God provides for us to speak to people about our God. So speak to people, so sorry, so speak to God about people, that was point one. Pray for our evangelists and their ministry. And point two, speak to people about God when the opportunity arises. Now we'll talk more about that over coming weeks. And it's a great thing to start talking about how we can do that over morning tea or as you gather. Uh, in Bible study groups over the weeks or as you read through the book of Acts. But for now, just two more brief points this morning. The first, if you're taking notes, the manner of our reply, and the second is the motivation of our reply. In verse 6 of our Colossians reading, Paul says this, Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you might know how to answer everyone. Now, Uh, I don't think grace and seasoning with salt in our conversations are two different things. Paul is simply saying that our conversations should always be seasoned with graciousness. It's a simple point, and you'll notice it if your conversations lack the grace and generosity of God, and you get wound up about the moral decline of society and how the whole world's kind of going to pot, you'll quickly find yourself on the back foot in a losing battle, fielding questions and accusations about all Christians being hypocrites. It comes in many forms, but that is what generally happens. But if your speech overflows with the generosity of God's grace towards you, you'll be on solid ground to speak more about our God. Peter 2 has a word for us on the manner of our reply, and it's in 1 Peter 3. Verse 15, where we're told, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. In this verse, a different word here is used to Paul's, uh, both are translated answer, but Peter is picking up the idea more so here on defending the faith rather than the more conversational approach that Paul refers to. People, even friends and family, can be quite insulting to your faith and we can often be called to defend it. But it must be done with gentleness and respect when emotionally we can feel like doing just the opposite. Being prepared to give a reason for our faith assumes that we are on solid intellectual ground for having reasons in believing. We all don't have to be great debaters. But being equipped in some of the basics of defending the gospel is beneficial for us all. And again, uh, we can talk more about that, but uh, there's some great book suggestions. I chose the best five that I know of uh, to help us grow together. 
uh, and think about these important topics and take them to a whole new level. Like, again, please don't hear me saying I think all of you need to read five books. I'm thinking five of you read one book <laughs> and another five of you read a different book and things like that. And it kind of fuels your conversations as a church and your conversations about mission as you gather together and uh, read God's word. That's, you know, it's a corporate kind of lifting together in our heart and passion for the sake of those 1.2 million people. Because that's what we've got to keep in our mind to start off with. We don't start with us and our plans. We start with the need, that great gospel need of those 1.2 million people. And we look to God, you know, totally overwhelming. And we just want to come to God and say, here I am. Help me reach these people. Help our church together uh, reach these people. Use us. And to pray and speak to people about Speak to God about people. Pray for our evangelists. You can see now why you'd want lots more bigger evangelists. And you can see why you'd want us to be ready to speak with graciousness, kindness and gentleness and respect as we live in a way that gives us opportunities to speak of our God. But last point for today. Peter says in verse 15, But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. I wanted to close with this encouragement. I've opened up... Probably way more questions than I've answered this morning. But take this encouragement for what it is. Because I assume you know the feeling well. When you're the only Christian in the room and the opportunity comes to share something of your love for Jesus. I remember this when I left ANZ and it was the kind of farewell speech kind of thing. I was... I knew I want you know I had lots of conversations about Jesus in the workplace my last time with these people I wanted to say something really meaningful and impactful but I was going dry in the throat and you know breaking out in a sweat but I actually had a whole lot of people praying uh, for that moment and I said as I looked around the room all these people I loved all gathered around you know glass of champagne in hand Matt's going to say something encouraging in here uh, at the end and I I just said to myself Jesus owns this room. To me, that's the setting apart Christ as Lord. If you could peel any room you're in in the world, if you could peel back and see the spiritual reality, you'd see Jesus in all of his glory. When we're feeling timid, when we're feeling like the only one, set apart Jesus in your heart as Lord. You know, My short way of doing that is to say, Jesus owns this room, and then I step forward uh, to speak. If you're a Christian, you'll know that Jesus is not only Lord of your life, but over all creation, whether you're in the warehouse at work or in the bar having a beer with mates or having a chat after a round of golf or in a coffee shop with friends, in your hearts, set apart Jesus as Lord. It is him you're seeking to please. It is him you're seeking to honour. And whenever that kind of moment... I'm sure there's some of you bolder than me, but I'm sure I'm not speaking just to myself here. Say to yourself, Jesus owns this room. And as you do so, you won't feel so timid anymore. Brothers and sisters, this is our reality. The need is desperate. 1.2 million people in our city. You can see why it's a good thing for all Christians in churches everywhere praying for more big E evangelists and looking for opportunities to speak about God. Because that's how God moves his great plan of salvation forward. 
If we could turn the kind of divine director's commentary on, we would see the Spirit kind of guiding and leading and you know, bring us into contact with people that, by God's Spirit, He's been preparing their hearts for months and months. They might not have even known it to bring a faithful messenger of the gospel into contact with them. So be prayerful about those things. And as you are called to speak, speak with gentleness and respect. Speak with words seasoned with graciousness. Speak. Let me close together in prayer. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, we express our trust in you uh, that uh, you are the same uh, yesterday, today and forever. We express our trust in you until the Lord Jesus Christ returns, coming uh, in glory, coming in judgment, coming recreating the new heavens and the new earth where all who have trusted in Jesus will get to enjoy you for eternity. Uh, We pray until that day uh, that in our hearts, in the heart of this church and in the heart of uh, all who proclaim and uh, live by your gospel right around the world, we would be committed uh, to praying for you to fan into flame the gift of what we call big E evangelism uh, into our churches, uh, into our lives. And we pray too, Lord, that um, as we are given opportunities to speak, uh, that we would set you apart as Lord of our lives and that you might help us overcome our timidity and our fear and that we might speak words of graciousness with gentleness and respect. And that also, Lord, that you'd be doing a great work in our hearts, in the heart of everyone here today, so that despite our sin and our failings and our shortcomings, that you might be shaping us each and every day by your word to live lives that are worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that that might provide more opportunities for us to speak about you. And we express our trust in you that you know each of us, you know uh, your world perfectly and all those who live in it. You know the times in which we live here in Australia at the moment where we're increasingly seen as the bad guys. Please help us to be faithful to you uh, in this time. And please might you use these challenging times of what's going on in the economy, what's going on in society, what's going on in politics to actually bring great glory and honour to yourself Please allow us the great blessing of participating in that work that you are doing in this world today. And without the benefit of um, having the divine director's commentary on, please encourage us each day through your word, through our prayers, through each other, that we might build each other up in Christ, that we know that you are at work today in our city, in the lives of those 1.2 million people as the cities and towns that we read about in the book of Acts. We express our hope and our trust in you, looking for you for every good thing we need to participate in your one worldwide mission as it rolls out across time and across our world. Please help us to experience the great blessing of being a small part of that. For your glory and honour we pray. Amen.